The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of royal peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. The insurrectionists, people who were justly upset because they felt that the 2020 election was not on the level, which it was not, by the way, which it was not. And we know that for a fact now that we've seen the, Google, the Twitter files, which prove that the big tech companies took a side in that election. We didn't have a free and fair election, certainly not a free press. You can add that to uh, one of many comments that you hear now that you just would not have heard two years ago. The truth is coming out. I mean, it's being exposed. The fact that the election in 2020 was rigged, for sure it was, in so many different ways as well. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us for today's broadcast. We broadcast live every weekday morning at 11 a.m. here in the central time zone of the United States on our website, thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live, and you can watch with our live audience, or you can also watch the program on demand at that same website. You can get this downloaded to your devices, of course. Many of you do that as well. And we've also been uh, quite a lot more active on Rumble as of late. We're posting more uh, short clips to advertise the longer version of the show. Uh, and we're also, only in the last couple of days, we're now streaming live through, uh, through Rumble. So Sam didn't want me to mention that the other day when we first started because of uh, potential problems that are always there when you're doing something for the first time. But he says it's been, uh, it's been pretty smooth going the last couple days. So uh, at the Trumpet Daily, I'm not sure how the name of the channel and all that stuff works at Rumble, but uh, if you go to Rumble and search Trumpet Daily, I'm sure you'll come upon uh, our programs. So the, the House Oversight Committee <laughs> had its big... Uh, it's big opening day, I guess, with all these Twitter execs coming in and uh, a lot being exposed, of course. And I'll, I'll get to uh, the Sundance take on that in just a second. But I, I think uh, if you just look at some of these revelations and then the fact that, you know, you have guys like Tucker Carlson that are talking about things more openly than they ever have been. You've got people like Elon Musk uh, now in charge of the social media giant. So, uh, so, yeah, you can look at a committee and sometimes get very frustrated at, uh, yeah, there's a great soundbite there, but uh, are they going to be held to account? You know, who is going to, who's going to pay for this? This is uh, one Twitter exec. She's the former legal head at Twitter on, on the censoring of the New York Post in the lead up to uh, that election in 2020. And notice what she said yesterday, clip six. Twitter informed the New York Post that it could immediately begin tweeting when it deleted the original tweets, which would have freed them to retweet the same content again. The New York Post chose not to delete its original tweets, so Twitter made an exception after two weeks to retroactively apply the new policy to the Post's tweets. In hindsight, Twitter should have reinstated the Post account immediately. In hindsight, yeah, I guess we, we made a mistake. We uh, should have reinstated the New York Post 
account right away. They didn't do that. It was uh, banned, censored for, what, two weeks? And this right before the presidential election? They were working, and the internal communications show it. They were working. You know what? The real bombshell here is the deep state, the government, the DOJ, the FBI. They were colluding with Twitter. It wasn't Twitter colluding with the deep state. It was the government, the insiders in government rigging an election. The FBI had the laptop. They knew it was legit. They orchestrated a propaganda campaign and and colluded with big tech to smear anyone that would dare talk about this so-called Russian disinformation. That's the real scandal here. It should be government officials brought before these committees and then testifying under oath and then if found guilty of stamping out free speech, whatever you want to call it, those are the ones that should be carted off to jail. But as I say, there, there, there is a lot to be said for just exposing. And the fact that, that, that ordinary Americans now know, obviously, it was rigged. Tucker Carlson brought that out in the clip I just played. This is from The Federalist, though. <laughs> Again, you can see some frustration, even in the headline, with, okay, okay, they say this, uh, but then at the same time, this is the... This is the headline at the Federalist. We don't censor. This is the Twitter execs. We don't censor over politics, uh, and we should do it more. You know, we, we don't censor. Look, we, everything, there's nothing political about this at all. I mean, it did violate our policies, they say. But in fact, we should, we should actually censor more content. <laughs> they want to have it both ways. Of course, we're not biased at all, but we do need to squash free speech. If it's misinformation, and of course they're the ones that decide, it says it's talking about uh, James Baker. I think that's his, that's his name. He's the guy that worked on the Russia collusion hoax with the FBI. Then he switches over to Twitter, and that's the one that Elon, Elon Musk uh, fired. Because when the first Twitter batch of, of files came out, you had Baker in there <laughs> interfering with it. Says here, Baker, who played a key role in the FBI's attempt to undermine former President Donald Trump via the Russia collusion hoax, similarly couched his testimony with claims that he was limited by non-disclosure agreements. You know, he he hides behind the fact that well, I'm an attorney. You know, there's attorney-client privilege here. So everything he said, I mean, very carefully worded. Of course, you heard the woman there reading from a prepared statement. They had no doubt been coached long before coming in as to how to get their stories straight, how to, how to speak the same thing. Listen to this uh, Baker from the testimony yesterday. This was Jim Jordan uh, pressing him on, uh, on the laptop story that was squashed. This is clip seven. Mr. Baker, you said you didn't talk with the FBI that day. Did you talk to the FBI about the Hunter Biden laptop story prior to then or after that day? I... Um... I'm trying to make sure I can answer this question consistent with the restrictions that I talked about in my opening. Simple statement. question. Did you yeah. talk to the FBI about the Hunter Biden story? I do. To the best of my recollection, I did not talk to the FBI about the Hunter Biden story uh, before that day. Did you talk to him after it? You said your, your, don't your, response is real, your response is real specific to the chairman. You said, I did not talk to the FBI about the Hunter Biden laptop story that day. I assume that day is October 14th. I want to know if you talked to him on the 13th or before or if you talked to him on the 15th and after. 
I don't recall speaking to the FBI sitting here today. I don't recall speaking to the FBI at all about the Hunter Biden matter. Well, then why'd you, answer, why'd you answer it the way you did? My recollection is I can't recall. That's, uh, that's the, the main legal counsel that was helping Twitter decide what to. And a, and a guy that was right in the thick of the Russia collusion hoax when he was in the deep state. And there he is saying, I'm not sure about the communication. I'm, I'm, I've got to be really careful here because I'm, I'm an attorney, you see. And so as soon as, as soon as the Republicans get a majority, look at how quickly they change their tunes. Look at, look at the Democrats for their part. Yesterday, their, their role in this is to throw their hands up in the air and say, why are we wasting time in these kinds of subjects? The, the American people, you know, it's, it's costly for them to buy eggs. We've got to get on to serious subjects. Now the Democrats, you see, they're serious about helping ordinary Americans. They spent six years looking for any way they could get Donald Trump on a traffic ticket, if possible. Any way to put the bad orange man behind bars. They, they impeached him for a phone call. And to see them, to see them crying foul yesterday was especially rich Sundance writing about these oversight committees. He brings up a good point saying that the point of it, yes, when the Republicans get control, then they can sort of control the hearing to some extent. But no matter what side has control, the, the committee is basically there to generate fundraising for the, the party, the Republican Party or the Democrat Party. Because uh, there's plenty of good sound bites, as you saw yesterday, if you were on Twitter at all. Marjorie Taylor Greene just scorching that Yoel Roth guy, the, the pervert that was responsible for safety at Twitter, of all things. She said, you censored my uh, Twitter page and you allowed all this child pornography to go forth. I mean, Elon Musk, to his credit... When he bought Twitter, he got in there and he, he deleted tens of thousands of pornographic pages on Twitter. Not so under Mr. Roth. He was responsible for safety in the, the social media platform. So you got to get rid of Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's dangerous. She's da We've got to keep her away so that we're safe in this community. And meanwhile, all the pornography just spewing forth all over the world. Child pornography. Anyhow, Sundance makes the point that it's more about fundraising. It says, making money for the party in control of the chair is the primary function of the House Oversight Committee. The committee does not exist to create accountability or oversight. The HOC exists to exploit the issue for fundraising and to satiate the base voters of the party in control of the chair. Further on, it says, the point of the HOC hearings is to create what are now described as viral moments that can be used to generate money. The second and lesser objective is to give the illusion of accountability while uh, not actually ever holding anyone or anything accountable. And he, you know, he gives examples. They had a, a hearing over Fast and Furious. They had a hearing, an oversight hearing over the IRS targeting of conservatives. Who can forget the Benghazi hearing? I mean, there were some sound bites that came out from that. Oh, yeah, what difference does it make? That was played over and over and over again. But who was held to account? 
says here, finally, once you fully grasp what the intent of the House Oversight Committee is about, and once you drop the expectation that any accountability in oversight is the intent, then you can watch the performances through the entertainment prism of partisan politics and genuinely enjoy uh, and enjoy them. There are, after all, some exceptional sound bites and moments created by the hearings themselves. So it's not like they're worthless. And again, I think they might have a little more of, a, of an impact than maybe what he's suggesting here. But a lot of it is for, for theater, for sure. But, but going back to Tucker's statement that we played at the top of the show, I mean, think about what some commentators, conservative commentators, are now saying, are now acknowledging and saying that, as I say, they never would have said two years ago. And so there is something to be said for exposing the lies, for exposing all these, communi these internal communications between the Twitter execs and the FBI. The FBI colluding with big tech to rig an election. Like I said, they should be calling the FBI agents forth to be investigated. So on the one side, you've got, you finally got some strong voices really exposing these corrupt Marxist actors. And then the other side, as I say, you've got the radical left throwing their hands up saying, you know, well, what are we wasting our time with this? Listen to Jen Psaki on with uh, Morning Joe today, clip eight. I mean, this is like a word salad of right wing craziness, right? I mean, and if you are just a normal person, 80% of the country, by the way, that is not on Twitter, and you're hearing things like Durham, woke mobs, many of the sentences in Sarah Huckabee Sanders' speech the other night, you, you tune in and you think, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, yeah. I, am, I have to go buy eggs. Uh, my health care is too expensive. Uh, my prescription drugs are too expensive. Uh, I'm not sure about gas. It seems down, but I don't want it to go up. And it just feels very far away. So in in a strange way, the, this Republican strategy right now has made them seem like this like right-wing elite society that is not connected with what is actually happening in the country. Says the woman who was right on board with six years of persecuting, investigating Donald Trump, all things Trump, spying, rigging elections. Six years! And now she's talking about grocery bills and things like that. that that's really where I focus. The, once the investigative aim turns on them, as I say, listen to them, change their position on a dime, right on a dime. This was Joe Biden. This isn't about the Twitter files or the rigged election. This was about DocuGate, all these documents he self-righteously was saying, hey, Anybody that takes, doc they need to be held to account. And then we find out he's got classified documents all over the place. Listen to his response to this reporter, clip one. You said just possessing classified documents is, you said, totally irresponsible. So what was totally irresponsible about the fact that you had some? What they've informed me not to speak to this issue to any way, try to prejudice the investigation that's going on. Uh, we're being investigated. See, the investigation is part of the corruption. All of this is laid out in America under attack. All of it. They've got, they should be dragging in the investigators if they really wanted to get to the bottom of this collusion, this rigging of elections. America under attack, though. It talks about the Mueller investigation and 
how that, yeah, it was meant to persecute Trump for sure, but they also used the, investi they used the investigation so that they could say things like you just heard from the fake president. Well, I can't really speak to that. They, they've told me I can't talk about that because, uh, you know, I don't want to tamper, tamper with the investigation at all. So they hide behind the investigation. Or once they come under the glare of the spotlight, then they cry, I'm a victim! I'm a victim. As I say, they can change on a dime. Listen to this. Uh, this is the former Twitter. This is Yoel Roth. The former Twitter safety, head of, head, head of safety at Twitter. <coughs> Excuse me. Listen to him. Clip five. But concurrent with the Twitter files, Elon Musk also made the decision to share a defamatory allegation that I support or condone pedophilia. And this lie led directly to a wave of homophobic and anti-Semitic threats and harassment against me, of which Twitter has removed vanishingly little. And following the Daily Mail's decision to publish where I live, ultimately I had to leave my home and sell it. Those are the consequences for this type of online harassment and speech. So he's now a victim, this uh, Mr. Roth, who was fired by Elon Musk. He's a radical leftist. He uh, hates Donald Trump. That's, uh, that's the lens through which they viewed everything. They still do. They still do. And, and here again, if you step back, even so many of these hardcore Republicans on this committee, they're, they're missing the big story here. They're missing the big point to be made. The FBI had the laptop. The FBI knew it was legit. The 51 intel agents lined up to sign a document saying it was Russian disinformation. They lined up to lie. Prominent intel officials, former heads of big departments in D.C. And then they orchestrated the disinformation campaign, the propaganda campaign, that it was disinformation when it wasn't. And they got guys like Yoel Roth to work right in tandem with them to blot out, to blot out all of these Twitter pages of conservatives, anyone that would connect itself to the New York Post story, the revelations about the Hunter Biden laptop. Jim Jordan maybe was the one who exposed the government corruption the best yesterday. As I said, there were some, there were some fiery sound bites to come out of the hearing. But listen to a bit of uh, Jim Jordan. He's the representative from Ohio, Cliff 11. Domestic Is any of the information on there classified? No, sir, I do not hold a security clearance, and so I would not have received any classified information. Uh, what I propose is that 30 days out from the election, this is, a, this is another email to you from Mr. Chan. 30 days, you get, we get uh, temporary clearances. You pick who they are. Who were the people at Twitter who had a security clearance? To be honest, sir, I'm not sure. And we never ultimately followed through on this plan to get temporary clearances. Did anyone at Twitter have a security clearance? It's my understanding that at least some current or former employees did hold clearances, but I wasn't certain about Ms. that. Ms. Gaddy, do you know if anyone took up Mr. Chan's offer to hand out security clearances 30 days before the 2020 election? Not that I'm aware. So we don't know how many people had security clearances. Gaddy, anyone know how many people at Twitter had a security clearance in the 30 days prior to the election? I don't know the answer to that question, Ms. sir. Ms. Gaddy? I do not know. Mr. Roth, you don't know? No, sir. Well, how about the last one? Ms. Navaroli, do you know? No. I mean, it, it seemed like the offer was to sort of just hand them out like candy. I just wondered who had them. No one knows? Okay. 
the FBI giving security clearances to Twitter executives, totally in bed with one another. And of course, all of them, I I don't know who it was. I'm I'm not sure we followed through on that policy. They won't answer. They can't answer. Here's Jordan talking or asking about the removal of the, the New York Post Hunter Biden laptop story, clip 12. So I think what a lot of people are wondering is if it didn't violate your policies and they didn't tell you it was fake, didn't tell you it was hacked, why'd you take it down? I think you meet with these guys every week. We know that's been established in the Twitter files. You had weekly meetings with Mr. Chan in the run-up to the election. They send you all kinds of emails. They send you documents on the super secret James Bond teleporter. You get information on that. I think you guys wanted to take it down. I think you guys got played by the FBI. And that's the scary part. Because we had 50, I mean, this to me is the real takeaway. 51 former intelligence officials five days after you guys take down the Hunter Biden story and block the New York Post account. Five days later, 51 former intel officials send a letter and they say, the Hunter Biden story has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. The information operation was run on you guys. And then by extension, run on the American people. And that's the concern. That's the the scary part, as he rightly points out there, that the FBI was orchestrating this this disinformation and using Twitter and using Facebook and using these social media platforms to spread propaganda happening right here at home, right here inside of America, orchestrated not by the KGB or some other secret service abroad, but orchestrated by the deep state here in Washington, D.C., here in the United States, orchestrated by the FBI, using Twitter, using all these executives, giving them security clearances even. There is, I mean, there is a lot to be said for this kind of corruption being exposed. At least, at least more and more Americans are waking up to what happened in 2020, waking up to what some of the warnings that Donald Trump gave in 2015 and 16 about the deep, deep state, about the swamp, the corruption, the sickness. I mean, it's just Isaiah 1, as we say over and again, sick from head to toe. Here's one final clip from uh, Jim Jordan, clip 13. And to Mr. Raskin's point that you guys aren't bound by the First Amendment because you're a private company, okay, maybe so. But your, and your terms of service don't have to comply with the First Amendment. Would that be right, Mr. Roth? They don't have to. You've said that as much in your testimony. Here's what I want to know. Is this, is this a violation of the First Amendment when the government, Mr. Chan, again, sending you an email saying, we think these accounts need to be looked at because they violate your terms of service? That's a different standard. So you got the government saying your terms of service, which don't have to comply with the First Amendment, but the government saying, we don't think these accounts comply with your terms of service. Please take him down. You see a problem there, Mr. Mr. Roth? Mr. Chairman, I'm seeing a flashing red light. I'm happy to answer the question. Um, do I think that that's a valuable use of the FBI's time? No, but I don't see in a request for review a problem under the First Amendment. No. I sure do. I, I, I thank the gentleman. I get back. What's the government doing pressuring these companies? The government of the United States pressuring these companies to take this down or censor this or blot this out. That's what's happened. That's what Jim Jordan exposed there. It's the government of the United States targeting Americans, just ones that have a message that they don't agree with, the political opposition, 
I skipped over this story. It's from, it's from Foreign Desk saying, according to records from the United States Department of Education, following the establishment of the Biden Institute in 2017, the University of Delaware received around $6.7 million from China, $23 million from Saudi Arabia, $2.5 million from the Gulf state of Oman, and $1.6 million from Turkey. It says here, I'm not surprised, this author writes, there is a pattern here that spans administrations. Aspiring presidents set up foundations, and while they have in theory a charitable or academic focus, they are essentially pay-to-play money laundering machines. This was the case with the Clinton Foundation, too. Money laundering machines. You see corruption through and through. Sickness head to toe. How, how do you explain that if you're Joe Biden? How do you explain that $23 million comes into your, your, your former uh, Delaware University, the school you went to, your alma mater? How do you explain that these millions are coming in from states like China and Saudi Arabia because of your foundation? So much corruption. That, as I say, with the Twitter files and this House hearing, that's the real takeaway. That's the, the big story. You wish others would zero in on it. Victor Davis Hanson, he had a good piece about the State of the Union address in that people just know that Biden is lying. The ratings for that, by the way, were way down. It was carried live on 16 networks this year, and the audience size was estimated to be 27 million, which was down from 38 million just last year. So a 29% drop. People are tuning out the fake president. People know he's lying. He, like I said on yesterday's show, he's being shouted down uh, from the chamber when he spews his lies, saying in the most humorous case, the, the Republicans want to do away with social, social Security, Medicare, that sort of thing. And, and the Republicans shouted back. I uh, played that for you yesterday. Hansen says, after listening to the State of the Union, Americans know why the latest Reuters poll has Joe Biden at 41% approval. Vice President Kamala Harris polls even lower, despite the obsequious efforts of the most biased media in history that has, in effect, merged with the Democrat Party. So all of these hearings, God putting a spotlight on the corruption, I mean, it is, it is being noticed. It is being noticed. The House now has a majority. There, there are some signs that the tide is finally beginning to shift. It says here, the nation was reminded again why only 37% of Biden, Biden's own party want him to run again. Only a quarter of Americans believe the country is headed in the right direction under his leadership. I mean, this is some bitter, bitter affliction. Second Kings 14 says here, remember, Biden comes to life only when he smears his enemies while calling for unity and bipartisanship. He only comes to life when it's time to attack, to attack the other side. You see this with all of them, really. Barack Obama, of course, is the puppet master. He's the one behind it all. It says here, only then his voice raises, his brow furrows, and his face reddens. He claims that the rich avoid paying their fare. Uh, share, even as he knows that just 1% of the country pays over 40% of the income taxes. 
that says Biden somehow demagogued the lethal violence of black police officers against a black victim in Memphis into an evidence into evidence of America's supposed racism. This was all from the speech. Says here he utterly lied about Republicans demanding a sunsetting of Social Security and Medicare. He beat the dead horse of January 6 while insanely connecting it to the attack on Paul Pelosi. Despite the sacked Congressional Investigative Committee and the suppression of critical video evidence and email communications involving security lapses, it says, in sum, this is Victor Davis Hanson, in sum, it was the same old, same old, dishonest Joe Biden, misinform, ignore, and attack, and then call for unity as the country collectively slides into ruin. As the country slides into ruin. Two years. Two years of an illegitimate presidency. And look at the damage. It's all part of the fundamental transformation. It's, it's, it's going according to Obama's plan. Just what he envisioned back in 2008. Here he is, effectively carrying out his third term in office. Politico has a story about how Republicans are working behind closed doors. Big Republican donors doing everything that they can to prevent Donald Trump from being the nominee. Here we're, in the, we're sliding into ruin. We're in the midst of bitter affliction. And these Republicans, good old boys, behind closed doors, anyone but Trump, this is their position, anyone but Donald Trump, we've got to do it because, well, we need to have unity in the Republican Party. And Trump, I mean, if we're not careful, he could capitalize on the fact that we're, we're not as unified. This is the way these people think. I mean, it's, it's deranged. It says here, it is a common... It is a comment echoed in the interviews with dozens of Republican Party members, donors, strategists, and grassroots leaders, many of whom say it is the conversation they are all having privately among themselves, too. How to make sure that Trump doesn't once again take advantage of a split field and walk away with the Republican nomination. It goes on and mentions all these prominent Republicans lining up, hopeful that they can beat Donald Trump. And, and bring, you know, bring unity back to the Republican Party. Really, the goal is to bring unity back between Republicans and Democrats, get the uniparty back intact, and then, you know, the money flows in, even from some of our enemies. Once we set up foundations and maybe we're done with politics, we can go right into being a lobbyist or, I don't know, maybe go over to Twitter. Maybe we can work at Facebook. It's a swamp. It's a deep, deep state. You can see why they don't want the one man that went in there, not from a political history at all. And everybody loved him. I mean, Hillary Clinton was pictured hugging Donald Trump back in the day. He was a celebrity. He had a popular TV show. He built buildings all around the world. Everybody loved him. And then he came in to try to help save the nation from some of these foreign interests, from the sickness at home. And he stood up to the Uniparty, and that's made him a target, and they've gone after him for everything. They're still going after him. They still want him behind bars. It says here, leading donors who have spoken with the, the top non-Trump contenders say they all get it. 
that none of them are looking to play the spoiler and are aware of the dangers to the party, if not the country, of a Trump redux. <laughs> that, that's the, the danger, the way. The country's sliding into ruin. And these people see Donald Trump as being the grave danger. You need to read through this book, study this book if you haven't already. Call our operators today and request your free copy. The number is one 930 You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. What has happened to the United States of America? The wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history is suddenly divided, weakened, radical. The evil in America has grown powerful. The good has grown weak. The honorable parts of American history are succumbing to a direct, targeted, sustained assault. Someone, something is dismantling America's history, purpose, and character. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Political dysfunction, social strife, economic peril, catastrophic moral failure, fires, attacks, riots, lies. The nation is being attacked from within by its own leaders. Powerful elites in government, journalism, academia, and beyond are intentionally, rapidly destroying what America is in order to make it into something else. There is a reason why your nation is crumbling before your eyes. There is a spirit and a specific perpetrator that is attempting to blot out America. Only America Under Attack reveals that perpetrator and the motive and spirit behind him. This newly expanded book shows you the reason why America has changed so dramatically, so suddenly. If you're confused and concerned about what is happening to America, request your free copy of America Under Attack by Gerald Flurry at thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily. Take a look at this pin, which has replaced the American flag on their lapels. Notice that the O in abortion is in the shape of a heart. They literally love abortion. Now, let's set aside the politics and ask an honest question. Who loves abortion? Honestly, who loves abortion? Maybe you think abortion should be legal, but do you love abortion? Do you think abortion is a wonderful, affirming act you feel so proud of? You brag about it with jewelry? If you feel that way, you should know that you are not defending a medical procedure. You wouldn't say that about an appendectomy. No. You are promoting an ancient religious right called human sacrifice. That's what this is, promoting human sacrifice. Let's stop lying about it. It's very obvious now. Very obvious, says Tucker Carlson. Good for him. Good for him. <laughs> there To have love, a love for abortion. I mean, you, you talk about sickness. You talk about a sickness and a disease that spreads like cancer. That's not the way Democrats used to think, even ones that thought it should be legal. Now they've got the pen. Now they've got the jewelry to declare their love for human sacrifice. What a world. This is not God's world. As I covered with you earlier this week, we, we, whether you look abroad, you look at poorer nations, you look at our own nations, the more prosperous ones, the sickness, you see it everywhere. 
That death toll, by the way, in Turkey, it's up to 17,000. Devastating, tur- tur- devastating earthquake in Turkey. Just a few days ago, people suffering. People are going to be suffering for a long time in that part of the world. And then you look at what happens in our part of the world. This headline, this goes right into the category of you can't make this up from Fox News. The Biden administration is significantly reducing the number of, of uh, what are they called, uh, aerostats, balloons basically, at the southern border. Balloons being used to monitor the overwhelmed southern border with multiple sources telling Fox News that it's due to lack of funding. So China can fund massive balloons that can fit, you know, three buses inside and spy on the United States and just go right across the country surveilling us, just ex- looking at all of our, our, our very sensitive bases, military bases. And we cannot afford a balloon at the southern border to monitor our security, our border security. As I say, how do you... How do you process this kind of a headline? Biden administration removing most surveillance balloons at southern border due to cost. They're cutting back, don't you know? They're trying to save a few bucks. So the last remaining barrier that might be there to slow down the, the, the tide of illegal immigration. Let's just take it, take it down, remove it. Let everybody in. Don't try to catch them. Just let them go. China, China is allowed to fly balloons over the United States, but we can't fly them ourselves. This last story, I'll just refer you to it. Seymour Hirsch, he self-published it, so it wasn't a publication that picked it up, but he's got lots of details suggesting that that the Biden regime was behind the explosion of the, the Nord Stream pipeline that happened. I think it was early last year. I forget the exact time period for that, but Tucker's been on top of this story as well, going back to a statement Biden made that if, you know, Russia enters into Ukraine, we're going to blow up the pipeline. So it's hard to say if, if Seymour Hirsch is right about this. There's not too much in the way of commentary about, I mean, it's a pretty significant story. You look at what we're just pouring into Ukraine. We can't afford the balloons at the southern border, but we're just pouring billions and billions into Ukraine. And then now this potential bombshell revelation coming from Seymour Hirsch. One last headline. I think I have a few extra minutes here that I can at least uh, make you aware of. This is from The Telegraph. It says, people should be made aware of link, the link between COVID jab and heart problems. That's the Daily Telegraph. Here again, mark it down as, as statements you would not hear two years ago or a year ago. But here's the Daily Telegraph, one of the most popular publications in, in the UK, saying people need to know. They need to know about the link between the vaccines and heart problems. How many more died suddenly cases are we going to see? It's happening every day. 23-year-old here, 31-year-old here, perfect health, athlete, former athlete, dying suddenly. Imagine covering up a story like this. I mean, a story that could actually help people, that could actually save people, that could actually restore uh, integrity to the elections, whatever. Pick a, pick a, pick a subject. 
You see just how corrupt and how evil the, uh, the so-called free press really and truly is. So much is being exposed. You can, if you have your Bible, you can start turning over to Mark 1. I'll just cover a few scriptures that uh, I mentioned in this morning's uh, forum. I referred to an example with my daughter when she was uh, just a little toddler, three, four, five years of age. And, you know, as with most parents, you're wanting your children to get to bed early. Uh, maybe eight o'clock is the bedtime. So they get to get to bed, they get some good, deep, refreshing sleep. But as every parent understands as well, if you're on a good schedule at home, the, the children, generally speaking, when they're little tykes, they're going, they're going to be up and around early. And she used to come walking into our bedroom sometimes when we were still sleeping. And she was there with a big grin on her face waiting for me. A lot of times I could kind of feel her presence as she stood right beside me on the bed or, or next to the bed. And, of course, she was grinning. She wanted to know what we were going to do today. You know, what's, uh, what, what's the family up to today? She was ready to get busy. She was ready to, to spend time with the parents, to spend time with her sibling. This is from the How to Pray booklet. I don't know if I brought a copy up, up here with me. But this is, this is definitely a, a must-read. I don't have it. They'll pull it up on the screen eventually. How to Pray. It says here, children often want to connect with their parents first thing in the morning. As soon as they awake, they might walk down the hallway to dad and mom's bedroom and climb into the bed with them. They yearn for that connection. They yearn for that connection. And then it says here, we need to cultivate that impulse with our spiritual father. God intends that our prayers reestablish that connection and build the father-child relationship. The extent to which you yearn for that time with God is a good measure of whether your prayers are really accomplishing God's purpose. See, we've got to be like a little toddler who wakes up in the morning and immediately wants to go connect with, uh, with the father, with the mother, spiritually speaking. We have to build that desire, that yearning to draw near to our Maker, to draw near to the Father. Jesus Christ did this. This is Mark 1 and verse 35. It says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Christ was a very, very busy man. And he had to get up pretty early to go out to a solitary place and to talk with his father, to communicate with God the Father. There's another verse, Matthew 14 and verse 23. It says, when he sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. So, I mean, he was up for the early morning prayer session. He went off into the evening, into a solitary place to pray to God. It says in the booklet, How to Pray, set aside a regular time to pray. Don't give God the leftovers of your day. Give God the best part of your day. In most cases, the best part is the first thing in the morning, when you're refreshed after a good night's sleep and before distractions of the day begin. Further on, it says here, no matter how busy Christ was, he always went out early in the morning by himself to connect with his father, not out of duty, but from sincere desire. He says this is a very childlike 
attitude. It's very childlike, and God loves it. God loves and appreciates this, this kind of an attitude, this yearning to connect. It says we, we do not naturally have, have this desire, so we have to ask God for it, and we have to nurture it. We have to ask God for this yearning. We have to nurture this desire. It says adjust your schedule to fit your needs. Organize your time so you can spend quality time with God every day. One of the big obstacles to praying fervently, to having a long, fervent prayer session with God every day, one of the big obstacles to that is just the, the, the reasoning that, well, I'm too busy, there's too much going on, or I've got to get up and hurry and attend to this thing. And to be sure, I mean, the, re- the responsibilities of adulthood, of being a parent or a father, mother, whatever it is, there, there is a lot to do for sure. But the thing of it is, we really need God's help, God's guidance in all of that. And that's why the relationship with God is just crucial. It says here in Psalm 55, notice David, he's another good example of someone that had his spiritual habits in order. Verse 16, it says, now David, um, sorry, that's my notes. I will have to go to the, the Bible for this one. <laughs> Maybe my notes, hopefully my notes had a, had a good point to bring out there. But David, another guy who was very, very busy, he had a lot of responsibilities, and yet he established the right priorities, spiritually speaking. This is Psalm 55 and verse 16, it says, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Verse 17 continues, Evening and morning. And at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Evening, morning, and then at noon. Notice the order there, too, because you can go back to you know, Genesis 1 and see how that God organizes the day. I mean, the day starts not at midnight or 12.01. The day starts at sunset. So you've got the evening, and really, as I was telling the students this morning, I mean, when the evening sets in, you want to start thinking about how you can have a really fresh and energetic start to the next day. If you read, you read Romans 13, it talks about being children of light and, and how that the, in the world of darkness, so much evil is, is going on at night, in the middle of the night, when, when people ought to be sleeping, when people ought to be in bed. You know, I, with a lot of these stories of these horrible crimes that are committed or that you see maybe sometimes because it's captured on a phone, a lot of times I'll, I'll skim through the article if, if there's this horrible atrocity that's happened and try to figure out what time that it happened. And more often than not, I mean, it's late Friday night, Saturday night, maybe 2, 3 a.m. outside the club, this sort of thing going on. And then the shooting happens or, or some, some girl is kidnapped. Or, and, and I often think, of course, the perpetrator, throw him behind bars, you know, put, put him on death row, put, put, save society from this menace. But then I often think about the victims and, and, and wonder, you know, what's this young girl or these two young girls doing out in the middle of a big city like this or, or that, and it's 2 or 3 a.m.? There's a, a bigger point to be made just with respect to serving God. We want to get in our rest. Sleep is crucially important to good health. We want to get in that rest. We want to start preparing for the morning time. 
the evening before. David prayed in the evening and then in the day part or the, the morning and then the noon time period. Three times in the day. I mean, that's someone that really does have his priorities straight. Satan wants to just turn, <laughs> turn time management, society, you know, our routine. He wants to turn it upside down. So many people just sleep the day away, and then they, the, the engines really rev up at night, and that's when you want to go out and party. That's when you want to really watch a lot of movies or lots of uh, the evening shows. So many of the funny shows, they're not even funny anymore, but they're late, <laughs> they're late at night, and people stay up for those and, and more, and then they're just, the next morning, it's like they've been run over by a train. It says in the How to Pray book, it's hard to escape the fact that the quality of your daily prayers is often directly tied to the quality of your sleep the night before. And this is typically a result of how well you stick to your bedtime each night. It says if you stay up late, you are virtually guaranteed to have problems the next morning. Some practical tips here in this wonderful booklet. If you, haven't, if you have it and you haven't read it in a while, it's a great one to review every year or two because of how central it is to Christian living. How to pray. It says here, this is really a matter of self-discipline. Remember, the overall goal is to make your prayers your number one priority. If something else interferes, including an evening activity that will make your prayers tired the next morning, ask yourself, what am I putting before God? How important is your prayer life? My father's made the point in other writings that it's the number one activity we have every day. It's, it's that important. Put it on the highest priority. It says here, you need to get enough sleep not only to stay to say decent prayers in the morning, but also because it is a fundamental law of good health. Breaking it sets you up for problems spiritually and physically. Going back to the example of Jesus Christ, I mean, he's up a great while before day getting into his prayer, and, and really the only, the only instances in the Gospels where it talks about him being up late at night is when he was talking to God. It's when he was pouring his heart into his prayers. But outside of those instances, I mean, you can envision the Son of God really getting good, refreshing, deep sleep every night so that he could get up in the morning a great while before day and go off and find that, that solitary spot to where he could really draw near to his Maker. Notice Ephesians 5. I'll read this in the Moffat translation. This is Ephesians 5, verse 15. It says, Be strictly careful, then, about your life, the life you lead. Act like suitable men, not like thoughtless. It says, Make, make the very most of your time for the days. These are evil days. These are evil days. These are busy days. And God, God says, look, make the most of your time. Bring a sense of urgency into your spiritual life, into your prayers, into your study. This is from a, a Royal Vision article we printed back in November 2010. It says here, the early bird gets the worm. This is an idiom with unmistakable truth. For God's people, the most critical work of the day occurs before we leave for work. See, we've got we've to prepare for the day. There's so many verses from Paul's writings where it says, put on Christ. I mean, we've got to renew day by day 
2 Corinthians 4.16. We've got we've to go through that daily renewal. Romans 12.2 is another verse to read in that regard. But every day we have to put on Christ, just like we would put on a jacket, a suit and tie, if, if you're off to the office. Put on Christ. It says here, Jesus Christ is the model. David, Joshua, and many other men of the Bible also rose early. What did Solomon, a man endowed with colossal wisdom from God, have to say about this? He quotes a proverb, Proverbs 20 and verse 13, where it says, Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you shall be satisfied with bread. Further on, the article says, To consistently wake up early, we must start by determining to do it. There's a great example, by the way, in the autobiography. I don't have time to read some of the detail. But Mr. Armstrong, he was traveling about, and he wanted, this was before his conversion, he wanted to be a success in business. And he had a weakness for oversleeping, for sleeping in too much. He'd hit the snooze button over and again. And at one point, he hired the, the bellboy to come up and pound on his door at 6 a.m. and to get him out of bed. And he gave him a half dollar in return. So it started taking a hit on Mr. Armstrong's wallet. But he says here, you may be sure I didn't roll over and go back to sleep at 6 a.m. the next morning. This system worked so well, I kept it up until the early bird habit was established. You see, he was determined to do something about it. To be a success, he knew that he needed to do this. He knew that he needed to conquer that weakness, and he did. And you can too. We all can do more to wake up and put God first and to, as the prayer booklet brings out, to really give to God the very best that we have to offer every day. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to submit some feedback to the show, you can re- reach us at td at thetrumpet.com. We thank you for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow. 